Good evening, Patriots. And it's Tuesday, January 3rd. In the East Coast, you just hit January 4th, Wednesday. Nice midweek. Just always amazing how fast these weeks go. Before we begin, Patriots, make sure that you're doing all you can to protect your wealth in this very unstable time. Are the Biden administration's New Year's goals of tax and spend and turned a blind eye to inflation at odds with your goals of securing your savings? When you finally had enough of the games government is playing with your savings in retirement, diversify into gold with Birch Gold. I am tired of my money being impacted by stupid decisions by leaders in Washington. For over 5,000 years, gold has withstood inflation, geopolitical turmoil, and stock market crashes. And here's the great news. You can still get it. In fact, you can own gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text the word BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold. With almost 20 years experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs, Birch Gold can help you. Protect yourself with gold today by texting BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to the number 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews. Secure your future with gold. Start today with a free info kit. There is zero obligation to make this request. Just text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. Birch Gold. Again, text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. This is the best way to start the new year. 989898, text Bards, B-A-R-D-S. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This last two years, in particular, almost three actually, three coming this spring officially, the pressure upon this country and this people have been immense. It was a temptation, a temptation to lead into a new way of life, to accept a pathway into something that was promising ease, convenience, all you had to do was just accept the bargain to sell your soul. When this whole thing began, I stood hard on the position that if you took the vax, you accepted salvation through a needle rather than in Christ, and yet you were turning your back on God. And that's a harsh statement, but I still stand by much of it because in those moments of time, people were having to make decisions and many didn't want to make a decision or they just wanted to follow what someone else said. And that's got us right to where we are. And it's not been easy. And the damage that's been done has not been done because of people that didn't take the injection. It's been done by those that refused to listen to the words of common sense. I'm going to play a piece here. I'm just putting this out here. This piece is about, this is about one minute 
This is an adult warning on this. There's some language in it. I don't typically like doing this, but this piece can't be played without it. And I think it hits the point of a lot of what we're saying, but in a more comedic way. So again, about one minute of adult warning. Here we go. Look, look, they want everybody to forget and forgive everything that happened during the pandemic. We were all in the dark. We were all afraid. Like, nah, bitch. Like, that was like we all got kidnapped and put together on an island. And then all of y'all bastards were like, we should eat them. And we're like, what the fuck? And then now they took us off the island. And we're just looking at you on the ride home like, and you're like, oh, wasn't that crazy? And we're like, nah, bitch. You tried to eat us. <laughs> I didn't kick you out of those stores. I didn't ruin your job. I didn't tell you you couldn't come to the family reunion. I didn't tell you you had to drop that of a heart attack because you didn't get the jab. So you're not welcome at this hospital. There ain't nothing to forgive on my side, baby boo. This is a you problem. And we're still talking about it. And we sure are. And I think that's a lot of where we're going to have to really understand is that in our hearts, we can let all that go. He's letting it go through comedic action, comedic action. But the fact of the matter is that those that have taken the injection, those that have held that line that still do, they're not wanting to see. There's a heavy responsibility in this country and in this world for them to have to own the actions that they took. And that's accountability at its core. And again, we go back to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you. Key words. That is not common to man. In other words, there's nothing new under the sun. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, which is to say that every single person that was tempted had it within them to say no, because God gave you that. He did not exceed your ability. For all those out here that are saying, well, dude, I had to keep my job. I had no, no other choice. Wrong. Because 1 Corinthians 10, 13 makes it very clear. You never had to keep your job. That's your excuse for denying the level of tolerance and ability to move through this that God gave you because you didn't embrace it. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it, which is to say that if you trust in God and you take that step, and have you, had you trusted in God and taken that step as the people who didn't take the injection, as those that didn't bow, as those that didn't wear the mask did, we discovered something. God never left us. In fact, he provided for every one of us in our own way. This isn't an egalitarian world. It's not a socialist kingdom. And it's right there. It's, it, it says that. It doesn't say everybody is equal and you will equally be tempted and you will equally have the equal opportunity to endure this. And you will equally have the same path to equally walk and equally walk together and have the exact same outcome on the other side. It doesn't say that. Each to their own ability. But I think that God is very wise to the real issues at hand here. And this has been part of the refining and the refining fires. And to a certain level, the judgment. I know that as I said that, when people chose the needle over their salvation, as a, their salvation, rather salvation in Christ, people would argue with me fervently. If they've accepted Christ, they're already going to heaven. Probably true. But don't expect rewards when you get there. 
Don't expect to be praised for your weakness. I mean, it's like sitting in the back and going, I, I, uh, I passed everything in high school and I got my diploma and I did it with D's. Okay. Don't expect a reward. Don't expect an accommodation because it's not going to happen. And that doesn't just say that we're trying to put ourselves up on a pedestal, but it is to say that there is a cost at some point for not digging in deep and obeying that walk in Christ. Even in those moments when your pulpit may be not telling you the truth, because God is not speaking to you necessarily in the pulpit. That isn't God behind the pulpit. That's a pastor. And he's supposed to be, he or she, depending these days what church you're in, that's why I say it, but he is supposed to be leading you to have a better understanding of Scripture, a deeper penetration into the verse and into the word. And if we're not going to take that step and question and continually press into God, we're going to be led by those of men. And we saw the consequence of that. But there's a deeper rot that we're also seeing in this world. It's 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's the craving that it starts. People in this whole time, I think money is probably at the greatest cause of poor decisions. And it's really something that we have to start looking upon ourselves to realize what is really valuable and how we can lead others to that same wondrous place. I would argue, and I don't think I'm too far off, that the majority, if not all of those that have held that line away from the influences of this unbelievable propaganda machine, that have held that line to walk as best as they possibly could in that body of Christ, avoiding the temptations that were put before you, trusting in God that they would not, they would not be beyond your ability, trusting in God that he would provide a way to escape. We have stepped ourselves into almost another world, a world now that suddenly we see things more clearly. We value the material things much less. We pursue our relationship with Christ and through Christ to the Father much more. And I don't think that's, there's an exception to that, to those that have stepped outside of that influence. That's my personal opinion. I want you to hear this piece here coming up. This is a good perspective. Hang on just a sec. Like always, here we go. You know that Jesus didn't call us to live our best life. He didn't call us to have a perfect marriage and a nice house, power couple, beautiful family, great success, all that. He, 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 didn't, he didn't call us to do all of that. What he called us to do was to actually lose our life. He said, if we lose our lives, then we would gain it. And for many of us, we're still trying to hold on to our lives and find a way to make Jesus fit in it. But no, he asked for us to give it all up to him. Yes. We have to be crucified with Christ, that it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives through me. And the reason why for a lot of us, 
Jesus isn't living through us is because a lot of us are still holding on to what we find dear. No, you're going to need to die for us in order to resurrect. If you're not willing to die to yourself, then you cannot rise in Christ. I so agree with that. We have to kill the old self to rise up to be the new within Christ. You can phrase that in many different ways. But the fact of the matter is that as we hold on to the old and we try to cling on to the old, it entraps us. It limits us to the greatness that we can be through Jesus. And this time is a time in this year in particular, as we start this year out, that needs to be cognizant with everybody, in my opinion. It's a time to truly let go of who we were and be transformed in the space that we are in now. And it's a profound, profound position that we're in. Take a listen to this piece. Another great perspective on this. I don't know who's watching us, and I really wish I knew your name. But if you're seeing this today, on December 31st, it's not by accident. Because if you're anything like me, 2020 broke you. 2021 changed you. 2022 taught you some tough lessons. But 2023, your Jordan year, (laughs) that's your year of redemption. That's the year you come back for everything that's yours. I just need you to remember and know and believe that you are blessed and highly favored. So as you walk into this new year, walk into your purpose and claim it. Bye. And happy new years. Walk into your purpose and claim it. That's 2023. We've had the refinement for years now. And he's right. 2020 was a year to be broken. To suddenly confront something that I would say none of us saw coming. Not in the magnitude that it hit. To see every institution literally overnight pivot and turn against us. Always stands out to me these plastic barriers. They came out of nowhere. Suddenly like within a week or just a few days, these plastic barriers started popping up everywhere. Suddenly you couldn't talk to a cashier. You had to put your ear to this stupid plexiglass thing to even hear them because they were gagged so much with a mask. And the thing that struck me about that is that those weren't made for the event. They had been pre-made long in advance. They were all in storage in every one of the stores. And I want you to think about that from a magnitude of a supply chain issue of how much planning was going in to preparing for this day that they would steal our freedoms, that they would try to enslave us against our free will, that the corporate entities would become our overlords and their disciplinarians and enforcers would become the common hourly employee that we had come to know, sometimes even come to like. They became tyrants in their own right. We saw people transform, some motivated by fear, some motivated by power, most 
completely out of sync with anything Father God would ever ask. But it was the plexiglass shields that always stood out to me. The masks were easy to get hold of. The plexiglass shields? You never heard of any boom in an industry of plexiglass in this nation because it didn't happen. It was done in small orders, small batches, probably over five years. No one noticed until that day, and they sprung it upon us. And we suddenly find ourselves on our heels facing this beast before us. A beast that wanted to devour us, break us, take our will from us. And we fought. And we wanted resolve. And we learned something. Psalm 118.5.6 Out of my distress I called to the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And in those most difficult times, wondering how we would buy food because certain places refused to serve unless we had a mask and even later started to pressure this idea of vaxes. Restaurants were closed to our access. Families severed their ties. Probably the most disturbing piece of it all was that families actually accepted the lie that other members of their family should be or possibly would be quarantined and put into special camps because you were a threat to the safety of the world. And they would have gone along with it. And this is something we cannot forget. I, this is not, to understand this, it's very clear. This isn't about forgiveness. Forgiveness, I have no malice on my heart. What I have is a demand for accountability. Someone says, well, I didn't understand. It's like, all right, but you have to own it. And you have to own the consequences of what that means. And in understanding the consequences, one of those consequences is you're going to have to rebuild trust. I'm not saying I won't trust you. I'm just saying that your trust is deeply marred. And you're going to have to work back to achieve a trust with me once again. And that can be accomplished some places very quickly, depending on the willingness to repent and put themselves before Christ and humble themselves before the cross. On other hands, it could take years or maybe not even in this lifetime, depending on the willingness of of someone to own what they did. And in those five steps of grief, what we can expect in this place is the first is going to be denial. I'd something to the effect of, I didn't do that. Yes, you did. Then there's going to be anger. They did it to me. It wasn't my fault. That's a denial and anger combined. No, they didn't do anything to you. You accepted what they said. And then there's going to be bargaining. Well, you did this to me, so I had to do this to you. You made me afraid because you didn't have your mask on, and I did the mask, and, and, you, and I, I was afraid. That's the bargaining. Sorry, champ. I never had any fear. Not once. The only real, real fear in the time as you look at this person is 
it was them. If we had any concern in our heart, it was them betraying us more than they already had. So are we grinding the axe tonight? No. But we are putting some things in some pretty hard lens to be real. We're entering into a point right now when there's a tremendous amount of effort to forgive and forget. There's a tremendous push in this sort of Christ consciousness stuff to say we all must get along now. We will always work to get along. We will always work to loving our neighbor. But that does not exclude accountability for actions that were done. The one thing about this process, however, I can say is probably the greatest eye-opener for me in the last few years was 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that puts an onus back on us in a very important way. And what I'm going to share here didn't strike me until very recently. Because I've looked at this as a remnant movement, more of a cohesive army. That's just the way my mind works. This building of connectedness that we had to stand up against this evil, kind of like a shield wall. But recently a piece was shared with me, a young girl that was talking about the individual. And she was specifically talking to people that were in broken families. They were hanging on to Jesus. And what her message was, which to me was, she claimed it had come from God and and been put on her heart, and I would agree it was, because of the way it resonated with me. And that is that each person had been placed there by God because He knew that you would not be tempted beyond your ability. And he knew that he would be there with you. And he knew even more that in that temptation, he would provide you a way to help heal that broken family. We talked some about that over the last couple of years of wherever we are, God has us there for a reason. But that particular message resonated deeply with me. And I've had to sit back and reflect on this a great deal. Because where we're sitting right now is a place where each one of us is strategically placed. And it doesn't matter whether that strategic placement is speaking to the world or speaking to your neighbor or speaking to your brother or sister. The fact is that God has you exactly where he needs you. And it goes back to 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so that burden falls again back on us. And there's not an issue of fairness here. It's not like, well, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Now they did this to me, and that's not the deal here because whatever their station is in life, God has trusted in us to bring them home. So when we have sat here in these last few years 
And we've done our duty to fight hard. And we've done what we can to awaken people. And then we kind of get to this reprieve where they pull back this nonsense of the vax and the mask. And it's a pause in their efforts. This is when we have to double down on the offensive. Because our mission's not over yet. Our mission is continues. In fact, it increases. Because whether we're one in a community of a thousand that don't believe in God or whether we're one in a community of a thousand that do believe in God, whatever the reason God has us there, it's significant. And we don't always know and the miss, it's not always clear. But one thing that is clear is that God needs us there. And again, he's not given us and put us in a place where the temptation will exceed our ability. See, that, those things start to mesh together very well for me as I look across this last couple of years. And it gives such purpose and value to this army and mission set to this army that's incredible. Because God's unbelievably brilliant in this fight, as he would be. But I'm just saying, because what Father has done is as an army stands against an army. That's kind of the bipolar way of doing things, the one and zero thinking. Okay, I have a linear line. You're going to put up a linear line. That's the trench warfare of World War One. And then we maybe we'll start this campaign warfare that comes out in World War Two. And then maybe we'll even, in our minds, we might even evolve to sort of the guerrilla campaigns of Vietnam, which was a hybrid of campaign warfare and guerrilla warfare. And then if we jump to Afghanistan and we jump to Iraq, it's the same thing. It's campaign warfare with an enemy that's woven within the people. But what happens when the offensive army, the army that has the high ground, us, doesn't form any line, doesn't build any shield wall, but instead God places every one of them, scatters them among the people. And why could he do that? Because God gave us the authority. He gave us the authority to step on snakes and scorpions. He gave us the authority to do greater works than he. All we've ever had to do is just lean into him, trust in him, and let him guide us. And the one thing, undeniably, is we should be praying for everything. Because prayer is warfare. And nowhere in there did it ever say, does it ever have in any sort of definition, any sort of tagline that we're supposed to have anxiety or fear or feel overwhelmed because there's no possible way that any of us can be overwhelmed. Not if you're walking with Jesus. Not if you've accepted Christ in your heart. Not if you've been reborn through the body of Christ. There's no possible way you can ever feel or be overwhelmed. It's not there. See, this is this thing that God put on my heart a few weeks ago, and I'm working through this, and it's a, it's a really amazing process. I'm going to talk about it here, and, and you'll hear me talk about it quite a bit in the coming weeks. But what God put on my heart was this. You need to put one foot in the trench and one foot in the kingdom. And I'll tell you where this came from. 
as I was looking at this massive wall and was assembling before us, transhumanism, the propaganda, the nanotech, the graphene oxide, the economies, the artificial intelligence matrix that is being overlaid, the digital prison that's being built. And I just, I said, I just shook my head one day. This was about a week ago. I said, Father, this is just overwhelming. In fact, this was Christmas Eve. And he said, do you trust me? I said, yes, I do. He said, why are you worried? I said, Father, I'm just, I'm not worried, but it's just so overwhelming what I'm looking at. And he said, do you trust me? <laughs> I said, yes. Then what are you whining about? He says, I need you to put one foot in the trenches and one foot in the kingdom. And I need you to walk that way. I need you to keep your head in the fight that's before you like I trained you. The path that I gave you in your life. And suddenly the entire journey that I've been put on opened up before me. I begin to understand. There's a discipline in the martial aspect of life. I've taken it very seriously in my life. I've worked with some amazing warriors in my life. There's a discipline. And when you kick into that discipline, no matter what you face, you have to train yourself to be able to focus before you and cast out any of the noise and simply calm yourself through breath and to detach from the emotions of the event. You have to look at the enemy as an object to pursue and to conquer, to go through and destroy, not as an obstacle that you can't conquer or overcome. You have to sit and let God move through you with the boldness, which is fearlessness, and you have to walk in that place that's completely detached from anything you think you are. That comment that was made just a bit ago about letting go of who we were, this is principle to the warrior walk. It's principle. Because when you step into the warrior way, whatever you think you are, whatever you were, it has to be, you have to learn to shred it. And in those places, you have to be obedient to what the orders and mission are before you. But here's where that kingdom piece comes in. Because that's the trench fight. That's the trench walk. And it's, for me, that's an easy walk to jump into. And believe me, that's like clear it all before you or die doing it. But the thing is, that's another little comment sidebar I want to add in here because this stuff, this is like patent speech, right? You've heard this. You know, if you're going to say you're going to die for your country, make the poor, other poor SOB die for his, you're no good dead. Well, that's principally it. We, we need to be hearing is how many people are going to be living for the kingdom, not dying for the kingdom. In the metaphorical sense of losing yourself, of, of being sacrificed, you are sacrificing this obsessive, material-shaped, money-consuming beast that we have known as us through the years. That's being sacrificed to step into the body of Christ and to walk boldly with Jesus. 
to become the warrior of this time. And within that, each person, like in the military, you have a mission occupation specialty or military occupation specialty. That would be your gift and talent called an MOS. And so some are called to be cooks and some are called to be mechanics and some are called to be transportation specialists. Some are called to be snipers and some are called to be breachers and some are called to be medics. Some are called to shoot artillery. Some are called to do scuba or radar operators or missile attacks or whatever. And yet, the battlefield functions not because one is superior to the other, but because they all do their job obediently and ruthlessly. These aren't words you usually, usually talk in terms of a sermon or a pulpit speech. But ruthless is at the core of what it is to walk in the body of Christ, in my opinion. Because you are ruthlessly stepping into this world, uncompromising to anything that's put before you, walking with the power of Jesus and the authority of kingdom. And it's not about us deciding. It's letting God move through us to guide us. Because without him, we're nothing. But with him, we are everything. And so God says, put one foot in the trenches and one foot in the kingdom. And that kingdom part, that's the other side. Okay, so the other side of this piece, the kingdom, the trench piece, we got that. That's pull out the sword, pull out the battle axe, pull out the whatever you've got, the bayoneted rifle or your sidearm and clear that trench and execute and execute and execute and come back alive. Clear the trench. No obstacle before you will overcome you, conquer every obstacle, clear the path, and keep going. That's the trench. And along the way, if one of your comrades is down, help him up. If he's wounded, patch him up. In the meantime, if you get shot, injured, patch yourself up, get back on the fight, soldier. There's no time to waste. But the kingdom part's a little different. That's where we see a different lens of Father. That's where he looks across the field, like this issue with the NFL player that fell on the field. And the trench fight is, I presented this already today, if you've been listening to the shows, the trench fight is we look at that group of people and we're like, man, these people worship football. What the heck is wrong with them? This is God's lens, something like this would be more like this in tune with what Father would say is, yeah, I had to bring down a player, but in the process, they all took a knee and bowed and prayed. It's a baby step, but it's a right step. Slowly, idols are being dissolved. There's that patience. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. And so he is patient. He is forgiving. Now, when you combine these two walks together, sometimes it feels like you're doing the splits because one foot in the kingdom and one foot of the trenches is not an easy weave. And yet it is the weave that wins because it's the weave that understands the ruthlessness of the sword and the appreciation for not drawing it. That's the meek warrior. 
it's the understanding that as we move through, we have to be outstanding at the gifts and talents that God gave us. That everything we do, you have to strive to be the greatest you can be, whether you're in the trench or the kingdom. And if God says, forgive, you have to forgive and forgive the way God wants you to forgive, not the way we would sometimes like to forgive, which is kind of forgive, but not really. If God says, trust in me for justice, you need to stay the hand of justice on one side and turn justice over to the sword of the spirit, which is the Lord's to deliver. On the other hand, you have to be prepared to wield the sword if he so directs. One foot in the trenches, one foot in kingdom. And I think there's a lot of ideas here that really anything goes, meaning that because you've accepted Christ, ah, I make a mistake, I make a little stumble, big deal. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it is a big deal. Even if we repent, it is still a big deal. Doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. Doesn't mean your repentance isn't heard. But there's a real responsibility, in my opinion, for being here in this time in this place. When I was in the last couple of years in Afghanistan, I worked under General Scott Miller. I've mentioned this before, but to understand this, it's important to put this in context. This was a joint special operations team, not formally JSOC, which is a specific organization within special operations community. But it was a small mini JSOC. It was a joint special operations team. It had Marine, MARSOC. It had special Green, Bay, Green Beret, Army Special Forces. It had Delta. It had Rangers. It had Air Force SOF, special operations. It had logistics support, the best of the logistics support that they could put together. This is who we were. Navy SEALs. And we all worked as a cohesive team. But here's the thing that's hard for people to appreciate, but it's very much like being on a professional sports team or other areas, but less than a special than a professional sports team because there's an investment in the person, heavy duty investment. And so they don't ever want to lose that athlete. So they'll give them all sorts of passes if they make mistakes. We see that the two, two tier justice system is in full swing. Not where I was or 45 people, 54, I think in the end. Everybody hand-selected. Everybody is, the goal was to achieve greatness every day. And you didn't always hit the benchmark. But I will tell you, if you fell on your face and made an egregious error, there was heavy price to pay. And many times that heavy price was pack your bags and you're gone. It wasn't one strike, two strikes, three strikes, you're out. It was many times one and maybe two. So you didn't. Is my point. You didn't make the mistakes because you worked hard to understand what you were doing. You didn't, and you couldn't be timid because this wasn't a group that was holding back. This was a group that was moving forward. So you had to work differently. You had to work at a higher level. You had to understand there was a responsibility on every single thing you did. And so I ask myself now when I look around is why don't we take that attitude with Jesus? Why are we not pushing that way within kingdom? Why do we accept mediocrity? Because God doesn't accept mediocrity. 
And this war doesn't tolerate mediocrity. In fact, our enemy doesn't tolerate mediocrity. You want to talk about mediocrity? Tell me where Kanye is these days. Because he broke his covenant with them. And now for two weeks, he's been three weeks, he's been missing. I have a pretty good idea. And I don't think it's going to be a happy ending either. See, in their world, there is a consequence for breaking their covenants. In our world, we don't really take it to heart. Instead, we kind of lackluster the thing and we say, oh, well, I'm just going to repent. But we need to build that warrior spirit within us. We need to build that intensity and that fire of what true righteousness is in this fight. And as I've said so many times, this isn't about fighting in the fists. It it is fighting the way God leads you in your gifts and talents. But it's nonetheless the fight. Back to that piece of sprinkling people around everywhere. It's a profound concept in warfare. It's, it's literally redefining warfare right now. As the father of lies rolls out AI, which in my opinion is his biggest trap, it's AI and Satan to me are one and the same at this point in time. It's the, it's the whispering. It's leaking into society. It's luring people in like the Pied Piper, and people are falling for it. They're starting to rely on it and use it and enjoy it and joke with it. And it's whispering to bring you in. And people follow. And it's going to lead a whole bunch of people away. But see, what God's done is he's put each one of us in unique stations. So many places that even an AI can't track where we all are and how we're going to react. Because human behavior is not that predictable. It creates the ultimate asymmetric fight. It makes the ultimate asymmetric army. But it requires something. It requires that we truly sacrifice who we were and give everything to Jesus. This is the year to make that decision. Not a year to waffle on the fence anymore if that's where you are. You can't, there's no more room for fence sitters. Because by the end of this year, if you're a fence sitter, you're either going to be in the camp of Jesus or you're going to be out. And not making a decision, you're going to be out. And when I say in the camp of Jesus, I mean 100%. This isn't about, oh, well, I'm okay. I'm going to commit myself to regularly go to church on Sunday. You might as well go to the other side. And I know that sounds harsh to some, but This isn't about a a one-day-a-week event. This is about living, breathing, walking with Jesus all the time and walking with Father God all the time. There's no separation now. That's the commitment. That's about destroying who you were, sacrificing who you were to step into this powerful place with Christ. And that's where the mightiness of the warrior comes through. There's a guy that I met. We were in eastern Afghanistan. And it was a small fire base. And the contracted cook unit, which was coming from KBR at that time, had lost the contract. And so there was literally nobody to cook food for this small fire base. 
There was one guy who was a mechanic. But unbeknownst to anybody, he had been a cook in the Army when he first got in, and he had also learned how to cook outside in a commercial space. So this is, this is a place that we had about, I don't know, 80 people maybe. And so he took a trip around to a couple other bases, and he hobbled together some cookware because there wasn't even a cook place because when, when the cooks left, they took it all with them. And he hobbled together a portable cook unit. And the dude started to produce three meals a day out of nowhere, getting supplies any way he could. He started to produce three meals a day, good meals too, for 80 guys. When I talk about achieving excellence and we talk about warfare and we talk about people accomplishing your greatness in your gift and talent, it doesn't have to be the guy wielding the sword. It can be the cook. And he's a great example. He went from unknown on that base, doing some stuff over on deuce and a half, replacing brake pads, fixing leaks in U-joints and ball joints and whatever else he was doing, working on Humvees. And literally in a matter of a couple of days became the greatest hero on that base because he provided hot meals three times a day to 80 guys, never complained, and ran the entire kitchen himself without any help. That's greatness. That's answering the call. So, we've arrived at a point in this time, in this place. We've arrived at a point in this fight. I challenge you to take this to prayer. I challenge you to challenge yourself to accomplish greatness every day. To not let yourself accept in any way the fail points. When you do, repent, but repent with venom, meaning repent, get back up, punch it again, and start climbing harder than you did before. Don't be timid. One of the hardest points I had in Afghanistan was unexpected. I'd been asked to go down to, to Kandahar for about a month and a half. I hadn't seen General Scott Miller for about two months because I had gone on a short leave home for Christmas. I came back. He had gone on his leave in the crossing over, and then I went down immediately down to southern Afghanistan, down to Camp Brown, which is where the Special Forces base was. So we were getting ready at the end of, it was about a month out, we were getting ready to do a tour of some Afghan bases. And I was dressed in my local dress with all looking Afghanish. And I saw General Miller coming towards me, and I was excited to see him. I hadn't seen him for about a month, like I said, about a month and a half. And his first words out of, the, out of his mouth were this, do you still work for me anymore or what? And I'm telling you, that was hard to take from the general. I said, sir, I've been down here on the request of the colonel. He said, no one told me. And he walked away. I was really fortunate because the colonel liked me a lot and he had a warrant officer by the name of Todd. Todd stepped up and he looked at me. He could just see him. I was just like stunned. Todd says, you all right? And I said, not really. He goes, I got you covered. Just keep doing your job. Stay focused. 
So that all got sorted out between high-ranking officers that talked and had a direct talk with General Miller. And I just kind of laid low, did my job. I saw him coming up the gravel, and we were up at a fire base. And he calls out to me. He says, Scott, get over here. I said, yes, sir, what's up? He says, I'm not upset at you. I was just concerned about you. He says, I need you back. I said, yes, sir, I got it. He says, how long do you finish up? I said, I'll probably be here another week if I can do that. And he said, fine. Get on the plane and get down. Get back down. Get back up to Kandahar or get back up to Kabul in a week. We are faced in a time where we're going to be hit with some very hard moments. In the world that I came from, there was a zero tolerance for error. When the general comes to you like that, the next you're thinking you're going to get your marching papers. But you've got to cling on to what you do best. God's not going to give you marching papers, but he might rebuke a bit once in a while. And the strong will understand that that rebuke is to make you better. The strong will understand that as a loving father, he will step in and he will do that because he cares. The strong will rise. They will become greater warriors than they ever were before. They won't be timid. They won't be hesitant when they stepped out. And I wasn't hesitant when he gave me the next mission, which was a big one. In fact, you just gain the wisdom and you keep moving forward. So this is a time to make the choices in 2023. This is not a game we're in. We've said this many times, but it should be pretty evident now that this enemy's playing for keeps. And so are we. See, that's the part of the story we don't say enough. Because God's given us everything we need. And however you believe, whether that's just your faith in him or if you believe he also has ranks of warring angels ready at your beck and call, if you believe that there's other angels of healing to come down with you, however you want to, whatever your relationship to heaven is, you have all the assets you need to do your job in your station and to do it with such vigor, such venom, such ruthlessness that the enemy has no possibility of ever standing, of ever coming back at you, of ever succeeding, other than running, giving up, or being destroyed. Now's the time to choose, all in or all out. But the consequences now are real. And God's calling. And it's time to answer the call. Let's pray. Father, in this time and place where we are, may we who pray this night before you and humble ourselves before you be invigorated by the wisdom, the love, and the fire of standing up against this evil that only you can provide. For those moments, Father, when we've stepped aside thinking that we can run this race alone, we've learned some hard lessons. Forgive us for those transgressions, for stepping off the path. But in the mightiness of who we are, of who you made us to be, we equally pray now to stand mightier than we ever have, to confront this enemy in such a powerful way that it understands that we're walking now with the authority of kingdom. That we're walking now truly in the body of Christ. And if we're hanging on to that past, 
then let it be sacrificed. Let us be free from the burdens that we've put upon ourselves to anchor ourselves to a past that no longer is here. If we choose in this time, in this hour, to serve you. I choose to serve you, Father, with everything. I choose to serve you, Father, no matter what the cost, no matter what the demands, no matter where you direct me to go. Send me. Guide us, protect us, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. These, this is our hour. This will be our year. There's no question in my heart about that. The enemy is arrogant. The enemy is blind because of it. They have underestimated the power of faith. They've underestimated the joy within our heart of kingdom and the love for Father. They have underestimated the resolve of people that have given their life to Jesus. They've underestimated the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us let them be reminded. Let us make them regret their decision to think that they are better than us because they are not. This kingdom is ours. We shall occupy, we shall subdue, and expand. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us, and God always wins. But he has us here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for bended knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again Dive into the deepest end Oh, I want to feel something